house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. to know what you think of our little operation. I think you've taken nine months to do about six months' work. Can you find a wife or a partner? Oh, man. I'm afraid your stocks are no longer sufficient collateral. Our future, everything that we talked about, we will lose it. We promised to tell each other everything. I didn't want to frighten you. I'm not that kind of woman. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that you can listen to in the middle of Mardi Gras and they can't touch you. Every week on This Head Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. I am here with my co-host, entertainment writer Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm doing okay. We're having quite a morning here on this side, Oscar Buzz. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it's actually kind of topical because we've had several fitful starts and stops this morning, a long delay, you might say, in getting recorded, and we're talking about a very long delayed movie. Yeah, the only more appropriate movie to be talking about today would have been like Source Code or something like that, where we have to like keep starting and stopping a technological process. And... Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is here looking over our shoulder, and it's a whole thing. Fear for uh, but no. there. <laughs> well, she's always here. She's always, she's always with us. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> um, uh, we are not talking about Source Code, though. We are talking about Serena, the phantom limb on the Jennifer Lawrence-Bradley Cooper big screen partnership. Uh, the movie was shot in 2012 but did not end up limping into American theaters until 2015. It is mostly known, I feel like, as a 2014 movie because that's when it opened in England. It's a whole thing. It's really, it's the production history. I will say, when we get into, we want to start with, we're going to start with why Serena had Oscar buzz. We're going to go through the production history. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper. We're going to give you some plot description. We're going to get into the harrowing and fraught attempts to find this movie a distributor um and the one the one in uh industry award that it ended up getting which may surprise you certainly surprised me um, surprised me i'd cri- never heard of this neither had i so yeah stay tuned um and don't go cheating and looking up on imdb while you're listening to this just you know let it let it awash over you and you know experience it as it was meant to be experienced um <laughs> slowly and eventually <laughs> Look at That's me being Darren everything. Aronofsky and trying to control people's experience of things. <laughs> Speaking of whom, guess who tried to make Serena first? Um, the production history of Serena begins, I feel like, with the novel. The novel was published in 2008 by author Ron Rash. It was on the bestseller list. It was pretty well regarded. About a young a young wife to a timber baron in 1920s and 30s. Um I don't know what state we're supposed to be in the Smoky Mountains somewhere. North Carolina. North Carolina. Hey, excellent. Um, he's sort of uh, out of town. He's from New England. And once you start hearing Bradley Cooper's Boston accent, it all falls apart. Boston um, by way of mid-Atlantic, by way of the South, by way of space. 
and she, Serena, is from Colorado, and um, we'll get into the actual movie, but sort of it, it hewed pretty closely to the book. I think the book focused on Serena as a POV character more. I think the movie is a little bit more even-handed. Um, but the film adaptation that was originally planned was supposed to be directed by Darren Aronofsky and starring Angelina Jolie, and that you know pre-production on that i don't know how far they even got into it but at some point aronofsky dropped out angelina jolie is no longer attached uh and aronofsky is replaced by danish director susanna beer who had recently won the oscar for foreign language film for in a better world um at this point jennifer lawrence is like the hottest actress going in hollywood everybody's looking to cast her in everything she's gotten the nomination for winter's bone she's been cast in x-men and hunger games she has already filmed silver linings playbook with david o russell but she that movie won't come out until the end of the year but um when they hire jennifer lawrence for serena she then, because she had such a good experience filming Silver Linings Playbook with Bradley Cooper, decides to bring him aboard. And so now all of a sudden we have a film and we're going to filming begins in the spring of 2012. It is a long, long, long process to making this movie between the shoot and the post-production and Susanna Beer having to take time off to promote is it two movies Chris? two movies because there was one actually released in 2012 um called all you need is love starring pierce brosnan it's like right. half in english and then she had another film that wasn't released stateside uh-huh so 18 months in the interim silver linings playbook is released at the end of 2012 oscar nominations jennifer lawrence wins best actress um huge breakthrough even i think more so than people were expecting certainly when they filmed it i feel like even though david oh, yeah. russell was coming off of the fighter i feel like this was still silver linings playbook was a decent surprise in terms of how well it did right well particularly because it was consistently reduced as just a romantic comedy or just like kind of a silly comedy yeah and bradley cooper particularly his nomination was a little bit of a get you know that was not so easily predicted yeah, he was not regarded as an Oscar actor then. He was essentially a TV guy who had started these sort of himbo roles in things like Wedding Crashers, which I think he's very good in, but, you know. Um, well, and it's also while we were waiting for this movie, that's when they became, over that time period, these Oscar heavyweights and these box office heavyweights because right. in the meantime between... Filming beginning on this movie and the film finally being released. We got three Hunger Games movies. We got yeah. American Hustle and we two got X -Men. American Sniper and two yeah. X-Men. Yeah. Um, yeah. American Hustle sort of beginning and ending while uh, Serena is in post-production is pretty funny. Um, well, and when you're talking about multiple Oscar campaigns for both of these stars, too, you <laughs> whenever... You know, like, we talk about the fall movie previews and stuff like that. Serena was always an asterisk, like, this constant lingering question right, mark that there. nobody knew the answer to yeah. of when it was coming. It might be coming. It could be coming this year. And it was just kind of hovering in the back. It, it was like the girl in the background of the party just, like, hanging next to the punch bowl yeah. Yeah. when, like, American Hustle was happening. 
We'll also we'll get into this when we talk about Jennifer Lawrence, but I don't think she campaigned very much for American Hustle. Um, in my recollection, I feel like she took that one off. Um, right. But yes, but yeah. So I feel like we were we were in the middle of being a little bit tired of Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper as a thing um, after American Hustle, because American Hustle, the reception of it was pretty divided. And so the the environment that Serena was going to get released in, would it ever, if it ever got released, was decidedly not as good as if it had made it into theaters, say, early 2013. Um but that wasn't possible. So I want to talk a little bit about Susanna Beer because I think she's a very interesting director and sort of figure in the world of film. She's the only the third woman ever to win uh, the Foreign Language Film Oscar. I know the director doesn't technically win the award. The country does, which is silly. It makes it difficult to look things up, like, you know, how many women have won. So yeah. she, but she was... Um, the third woman to win that award, I feel like her reputation among critics can be divisive or just like generally kind of mild negative. I don't think people hate her, but I think a lot of people find her films a little pat, a little, you know, convenient. And plotted in a way that they go to these emotional extremes for the sake of having conflict. Yes. And that she had, they all have these sort of international flavor where, like, half of the movie is in India and half of it is in Denmark. Or, um, in a better world, this guy is a doctor who sort of commutes between his home in Europe and, you know, working on the front lines with warlords in Africa. And it sort of wraps up this kind of international gravitas into these sort of stories about fractured families. I think in the, I mean it, I in that I'm mostly talking about Inner Better World and After the Wedding, but those are her two big Oscar successes. She also made the film the original film Brothers that was later remade with Toby Maguire and Jake Gyllenhaal and Natalie, Natalie Portman. Portman. Okay, thank you. Directed <laughs> that's by how Jim Sheridan. God, that's right. Man. That's one we should do on this podcast at some point as brothers, because I've fully forgotten that movie. As well as Susanna Beer's other, um, I think there's more, but the uh, her other English language film, Things We Lost in the Fire, with Holly Berry and Benicio Del Toro. Yes, which is another huge, I want to say that's like the second, that was the second entry in the Tumblr, This Had Oscar Buzz, was Things We Lost in the Fire, because I find it so definitional of the concept. And then... Um, she wins the Oscar for In a Better World, and then she goes and makes uh, the Night Manager miniseries for, well, after Serena comes out and it's, you know, tanks. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes the Night Manager miniseries that ends up airing in the States on AMC. It was, I, was, I imagine it was a BBC production as well, um, and wins the Emmy Award for it, beating like three directors from American Crime Story, O.J. Simpson, which was like the huge Emmy behemoth that year. Mm-hmm. So that's really something. I think she's. I think I read somewhere where she's the only woman to ever win the uh, to win an Oscar, a Golden Globe, an Emmy, and European Film Award or something like that. Get her um, a Tony. Yes, seriously. And then now she has coming up and scheduled for 2018 
a post-apocalyptic horror movie starring Sandra Bullock and Sarah Paulson, which I'm sold. Uh, the plot line of that, I am totally sold. It's like a family in the woods that has to be blindfolded. Yeah. It's not a quiet place. It's like a blind place. And the screenplay like. is by the guy who wrote the screenplay for Arrival. So I'm super excited for this. Oh, maybe this will play at Toronto. Um, and this is going to be distributed by Netflix, which... Uh, oh, I didn't realize it was Netflix. Yes. Um, which is also distributing the new Alfonso Cuaron movie this year and just hired like one of the big-time former Weinstein Company uh, Oscar strategists. So like Netflix is in it to win it at this point and they we'll didn't so they much do. like hire her as in just like completely buy out her company like yes. everybody is moving along with her from her company so yeah. they essentially own her company now um netflix who also has the upcoming tamara jenkins movie that we've heard nothing about since sundance and it's driving me crazy yeah and the new um jeremy saulnier movie that also we haven't heard anything about about wolves Right. It's all about wolves. So, um, yeah, Susanna Beer, I, what is your what is your impression of her as a director? I haven't seen I feel like I haven't seen enough of her movies to really get a good grasp. I am in quite the same place as you, um, that I haven't seen that much, that it's like more I know of her through reputation than through her work. Yeah. But I feel like what we see in Serena sort of dovetails with a lot of that stuff about her reputation a little bit in that, like, she's sort of going for these grand coincidences or these, uh, you know, the fact that there are three separate animal omens in this movie where we have, like, the workers are getting bitten by snakes in the yard. So Jennifer Lawrence imports an eagle and trains the eagle to kill the snakes, which, like, I want that to be the whole movie. Yeah. Like, that's, I want the eagle huntress starring Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, my God. I hate um, but there's also huntress. a bear hunt in this movie, and there's also a mountain lion that keeps, like, occasionally popping up. And I feel like that's a little bit of, like, maybe one of those. Um, <laughs> and, but before we get into that, um, Talk to me a little bit about Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper and where they were when they took this movie versus where they were when this movie got released. Well, we hinted at it a little bit earlier in that their careers wildly changed from... I mean, that's going to happen with anybody when you film a movie two and a half years before any audiences get to see it, right? They Jennifer Lawrence, when she signed on to this movie, was already the hot young thing that was had to be in every movie. She landed The Hunger Games, which was a big get. Um, I think people kind of forget what a big deal it was that she got Hunger Games um, after Winter's Bone. Bradley Cooper was still kind of coming up in that, like, he was attached to David O. Russell when Silver Linings Playbook happened it he was kind of the question mark throughout the season that a lot of people didn't think he would get an actual Oscar nomination for it and eventually he did um, and that started his trajectory Jennifer Lawrence though in the meantime is balancing two franchises and attaches herself to David O. Russell as well so she's getting the balance of uh you know, 
auteur directors and getting big audiences behind her as well and kind of becoming a spot for the fandom. Um, and Bradley Cooper as well is launching more and more closer towards being a box office draw. This is coming off of the Hangover movies. But then when American Sniper happened, I feel like it brought him an even wider and more respectability from a certain type of general audience. Um, And that he became a draw for other things than... yeah. I feel like it's very movies. it's very telling that The Hangover Part 2 releases in 2011 and does like insanely good business and everybody's like oh my god we're going to have these movies with us forever and then Cooper then goes from those pivots off of those and does Silver Linings Playbook and Place Beyond the Pines both in the same year and those are like the decidedly like I'm going to make good slash interesting movies with exciting directors right? And yeah. That, it's interesting so, that they're both they both have been able to balance the two, even if I think they've lost some of the public goodwill um along the way, especially in this time period. They still are both two performers who are really good at Yeah. Movies that make money and then working with interesting people. Well, to the point where Hangover Three Part uh Hangover Part Three comes out in twenty thirteen and by then people are like, it er, isn't Bradley Cooper too good for this? And yeah. essentially yes. He had already he had is. his Oscar nomination and right. the whole th- I never saw that man. I never saw the second one. I fucking hated no. the first one. Um the whole thing had an air of Bradley Cooper doesn't really want to do this he wants to go and work with Clint Eastwood and he wants to yeah you know make he, movies about lumber with well and he beer. gets to be he gets to be the guy in the Marvel franchise who nobody sort of tags him with Marvel fatigue because you never see his face he gets to collect right. those sweet Marvel paychecks for playing for voicing Rocket, Rocket. Raccoon yeah exactly um but he also like he'll go back and do Wet Hot American Summer for a little bit or I don't know. I feel like he, and this is probably my feelings about like the way we respond to actresses versus actors. I feel he like he gets a lot more of a pass for things than she does. I feel like yeah. Jennifer Lawrence has become this weird sort of horcrux for all of people's feelings about actresses they don't like or feel like are, you know, get roles that they are maybe not quite perfect for and... Well, and because this is know. also during the period where her personality was launched by, like, she falls down, she eats pizza, she burps, and all of that. Right. And, like, that's where some of the eye roll came in. And by the time this movie was coming out, that story was dying, where it's like, you have people writing stories about how Jennifer Lawrence is sick of being the girl who burps. Like... Well, and I feel like this is very similar to the way that Anne Hathaway had to sort of navigate this narrative that was being written about her, but wasn't being written by her. Where it's like, it very well may have been accurate, and I think in many ways it probably is, that Anne Hathaway is a theater kid and eager to please and maybe sort of, and is a tryhard and all of these things. And like, yes, but the fact that we went through this entire cycle of people hating her for that and now people sort of defending her for that and backlashing against the initial narrative 
And it's like, this all could have happened without Anne Hathaway even hearing about it. And like, we all probably would have been better off. Like, it's, I always feel a little bit embarrassed that Anne Hathaway had to watch, you know, Twitter and gay Twitter, especially sort of like act the fool out over her over the course of like four years, right? And I would honestly predict something similar happening with Jennifer Lawrence because she's still working with interesting people. And in some ways, I think she's stepping away from trying to do the franchise thing. Like we had Red Sparrow this year, but was that ever really going to be right? something huge? I mean, even if you look at something like Mother last year, I think that proves the type of power that she still will have when we're talking about Oscar in like when we're doing the predictive playing things like mother, if you would have put almost any other young actress of her stature in that role, we would not have been talking about Oscar before we saw that movie. Well, and also, I mean, I'm, I will be sitting here patiently waiting for people's apologies about mother and they can start, you know, streaming it at any time. Um, I You'll do be feel sitting like here movie... waiting patiently. I'll be screaming at people that it's brilliant. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'll be the more aggressive of the two of us. I do feel like that movie is bound to have a few re-appraisals uh, in the coming years. I feel like it's too interesting of a movie not to. Um, and I think it's going to be a little bit, I, especially now that she and Aronofsky have broken up, like that was so much of the impetus behind the anger towards that movie that yeah. the further away we get from that, people are going to maybe, I mean... It's not hard to look at that movie and wonder why people got upset because it is an upsetting movie. But um, there was so much resistance to the idea of the two of them together. And that was sort of read onto the Javier Bardem character in ways that I think were both intended and not. And I think it's interesting that that movie could still be read a certain way, even though it wasn't intended to be made that way. But this is not a podcast about the movie Mother, although at some point it will be. Like, we will do that episode, and it'll be three hours long, and it'll just be the two of us being like, God damn it, why didn't you appreciate this movie? (laughs) This isn't a podcast about the movie Mother, but I'm here, so wherever (laughs) I go, it's a, this is a blank about Mother. Like, eating my lunch. This is a lunch about Mother. Also, back to Bradley Cooper for a second. If A Star is Born is good, he's going to hit the next level of people's opinion of him. Like, he's going to be incredibly... If he gets one good movie under his belt, being an actor as sort of charismatic and successful as he is... We'll like, be talking about him as a director who could be an Oscar-nominated yeah, director indefinitely. Yeah, well, no, exactly. I'm glad you pivoted to that because I was going to do... I was going to transition over it to him as well because I feel like his Oscar chapters are a little more interesting than Jennifer Lawrence because like the things that we've loved about Jennifer Lawrence and the things that have been rewarded about Jennifer Lawrence feel sort of on an even keel, though I think she's a more, uh, you know, layered performer than we discuss her as. But Bradley Cooper, you know, you have his three Oscar nominations so far, which feel like, even though two of them are David O. Russell very different performances, very different movies. And then you have a stars born coming up and you know, we'll see what happens with a stars born, but it, it just feels like he isn't quite as appreciated for being able to transition between different types of material as well as he does. And I think that it's, if you look at him outside of, uh, 
if you decontextualize, I guess, some of the feelings that we have about him, it's really interesting what his Oscar chapters are, if you want to call them that. Talk about that more specifically, because I feel like he's already gotten three acting nominations. He is... He could get as many as three more, four more for... Did Was he a songwriter on any of the songs on A Star is Born, do we know? I don't know if he's a songwriter, and I don't think he has a screenplay credit, but he is a producer on the movie. So Okay, so he could get up to three more nominations. Maybe more. For... Who knows? Maybe, <laughs> maybe he was in the soundboard. And um, again, we are getting way ahead of ourselves, because this movie could be terrible, and it could be, you know a complete turd once it hits the festivals. Although they are or not... Or it could just be a they're not behaving like popular it is. movie. Yeah. No, they are not behaving like it is. Um, they're behaving like it is the the thing. The stuff. I do think it's going to make a shit ton of money. Um, well, okay, just looking at it from his nominated performances, you have this kind of kooky, layered, romantic lead... Then you have this kind of madcap, wild, balls-to-the-walls, like, sad guy in American Hustle. And then you have a more traditional leading man in a war movie where, like, his first two nominations are very wordy. And I don't remember a word he says in American Sniper. Um, Right. I don't know. I just think they're very different. I don't think he gets the credit for being able to do a lot of things. Um, there's this weird resurgence of everyone being like, and I think you're one of them. That's like his best performance is Wedding Crashers, and like that's not the actor we know Bradley Cooper to be now. But he is really good in that movie. I don't think I've I'm among those, but like, I won't dismiss that out of hand. I don't know if it's his best performance, but I feel like it defines so much of an era of him. That sort of that first Hangover movie. And yeah. Wedding Crashers, and I'm trying to think of what other movies he might have been in around that. Even, like, the A-Team, he was, like, face in the A-Team, because, like, of course, like, that's going to be his role. Um, or, like, remember how he's the title character in All About Steve? Oh, my God. Bet you didn't. Bet you forgot about that. That movie sat around for a while. To bring for it me, back he's... to Serena, yes. he does nothing in this movie <laughs> no he's like really i spent bad this, this time movie. praising him and saying he can do all these different things but like he can't do boring yeah he's i mean there are so many problems oh wait before all right before we get into the discussion of this movie we should do a plot description and i want to see if you can describe the plot of serena in 60 seconds or less oh i got this all right i'm gonna start looking at our timer and when I say go, go. All right, ready? And go. Okay, so we've been talking about Bradley Cooper. In Serena, he plays a Depression-era enterprising enterprising lumber baron in North Carolina. His name's George Pemberton. And his business gets complicated when he abruptly marries this mysterious woman named Serena, who play, who Jennifer Lawrence plays. Um, after meeting her and watching her like ride a horse, basically. He's like in love with her. He has to marry her. So they immediately get married, and he brings her back to North Carolina to their lumber yard. And she's very strong-willed and knowledgeable, um, and George gives her an equal stance in their business affairs, and the that is not met kindly by his associates. Um, there's a local sheriff that's trying to push George to sell his land to develop a state park, 
and Serena's kind of influence and demonstrativeness uh, uh, that has it brings about a lot of consequences for both of them and for his business. With two seconds to spare, okay. And that um, is even probably about as vague as you could get because yeah. one interesting thing about this from watching the movie is what was given the main plot line, like when you read plot descriptions of the book and this movie, it's the final 30 minutes of the movie. Yes. So much actual stuff happens at the end of this movie, and it's it's contrast so starkly from what happens for the first hour and a half. Oh, completely. And uh, as you're watching this movie, it's like, why was this so poorly reviewed? Because it's not horrible. It's just very, very boring for the first hour and a half of this movie. But then the third act of this movie is certifiably insane. Yeah. It goes to like, oh, she's supposed to be a Lady Macbeth character. We better get on that. And... Also, like, the Reese Fons character, who is this kind of, like, mystic of the mountains, who uh, she saves his life after he gets his hand chopped off by an axe because his, like, mind wandered or something. And yeah, like, he gets it into he his head at something, and then someone chops his hand off. And then he gets into his head that, like, this woman was, like, prophesied to have saved his life, and now he will do anything for her and like the anything leaps to murder so quickly that he like immediately becomes this goes from being this sort of like sage of the mountains to a hired hitman and it happens very quickly (laughs) well because she because serena wants to bump off the kid the pre like before they got married extramarital kid that bradley cooper fathered with this local girl and because like Serena the saddest version children. of a local girl too like she's oh always my. just like looking so like you know life magazine one strand of hair in her face and yeah it yeah serena suffers a miscarriage and the movie goes into one of the like grossly offensive portraitures of women who uh, have to go through this traumatizing event and it's like she wants to murder this other baby and wants to murder the woman because she can't stand her jealousy. And, like, there's a double cross to make Bradley Cooper believe that it already happened. It's all this, like, palace intrigue, but it's happening in these little log cabins in this logging community. And also, the we need to talk about the accents because they're all insane. She gets to be, Serena is from Colorado, so essentially, like, Jennifer Lawrence gets to talk normal, and that's fine. But, like, Bradley Cooper is supposed to be this, like, east northeastern businessman who comes to timber country to make his fortune. And he's got this Boston accent that is silly and dumb and awful and, like, roves and comes and goes. And sometimes he needs it and sometimes he doesn't. And then The, the only thing that would have made Bradley Cooper's dialect make sense is if they put the word see at the end of every one of the sentences. Like, <laughs> we're chopping the lumber, see? Yeah, it's, it's that. And then all the other supporting characters are played by like various action movie villains. Like if you've ever seen an Eastern European villain in an action movie, they're in Serena. I sort oh, of Oh yeah. It's I David Densick, 
Toby Jones. It's like you lifted the cast, the supporting cast of a Jean La Carre movie, and yeah. put them in the mountain. Well, Sean Harris has just been in. He's in Mission Impossible in theaters now. But like, I was sort of tailing it up, and I thought it was funny that you have this movie where like Mystique and Rocket Raccoon get married, and they go up against the villains from Mission Impossible Six and. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Top of the Lake China Girl, and the Amazing Spider-Man. And, like, it's this odd sort of shadow superhero movie. Ugh. It's, yeah. So nobody sounds like they're from where they are. Um, the one, I can't remember that that actor's name, David Densick, um, who plays Mr. Buchanan, who is essentially Bradley Cooper's right-hand man. And then Cooper goes and gets married, and we, like, realize that this guy, Buchanan, is, like, latently gay for Cooper. And they never quite say it, even though Jennifer Lawrence is like, he's jealous of me, put it together. Um, and he is. And he's the guy who is, there's a betrayal there, and he could ruin uh, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence's I should call them Serena and George, whatever. Like, they're never not Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence in this movie, which is a problem. Right. Um, but he could, you know, take to the authorities all the things that he knows about the, their bribery schemes with local officials, because that's the other thing, is, like, they are a timber company, and there's a con- conservation push happening with people wanting, the, the country wanting to sort of turn that area into a national park and it goes on it it takes place in the great depression when there was the large push for that yes um and cooper has to like make the argument for capitalism as like the pride of the working man in a way that like feels so gross and i think it's supposed to he feels free see but (laughs) you're right about that yeah you're right about that see you're right um, but David Densick essentially, uh, ultimately then is, you know, he and Cooper are hunting in the woods and is Cooper going to shoot him and like solve all his problems, but step over the moral line. And he does. And yet we never really see the consequences of stepping over the moral line for him. It's just automatically then hurt like Serena becomes this like monster. But like, yeah, George well, and she's never already has to this suffer mysterious consequences. Yeah, absolutely. And then she has this backstory about her siblings all dying in a fire. And she might have killed them. Or at least didn't save them. Or it's like it's them. insinuated that she might have killed them. For reasons. Like, there's a whole lot of, like, for reasons with her. And yeah. I think that's a big, you know, drawback. Again, I mentioned the thing about, like, the multiple animals being... Like, maybe just pick one of them. Because they're all symbols. They're all essentially, like, they're snake bit. Or there's, like, there's danger hunting them or whatever. And yeah, brutalism. But they need to have something still around to have this, like, oh, this, you know, ironic ending. This kind of tragic ending where, you know, he couldn't save himself, but he... If you don't finish this movie and say to yourself, what in the hell like on the final shot it, it i don't i, I don't also know. the first 20 minutes of this movie are freaking stupid where you get this one scene cuz they're showing the like the the lumber sort of business as it's going on and there's an accident and a cable breaks free and like seems to like 
knock somebody unconscious and possibly kill somebody and then like nearly has a train car run over another character who gets like pinned and that's but, the like last... bradley cooper chases down the train and jumps on it and is able to like turn the brake on you know but we that's... cut but we cut away from any of the aftermath of it and it's never really mentioned again. And for a second, I'm like, oh, this is going to be like a there will be blood kind of thing where like something terrible happens at the beginning. And it's like it does, but we never really linger on it or talk about it anymore. And then all of a sudden Serena shows up. So we totally forget about it. And then they are married within, I want to say, five minutes of her showing up on screen. And I don't think oh, that's not even because there is like a five minute weird montage of them like fucking ha- like, yes. It's like this sex scene montage where it's like. They're banging in this hotel, and then they're gonna go bang in that hotel. Like, yeah, it's a really dumb movie, you guys. It's really dumb. It's I don't even understand. Like, yeah, and so (laughs) this dumb movie comes together, and surprise, surprise, can't seem to find a distributor, and this becomes sort of the great big problem with Serena is that like it's finished. Nobody seems to like it. Hollywood Reporter had an article at one point where they quoted a potential buyer who said the film was so edited it made no sense. And I think I agree with that. I think the editing in this movie is really bad. I definitely think that this movie kind of reeks of being re-tinkered with and maybe not even by Susanna Beer, but by producers or something. It definitely feels like they kept tinkering with it because no one would buy the movie. That's possible. So apparently at one point... They sort of screened it for potential distributors. They wanted to go to either the Weinstein Company or Fox Searchlight. Neither one of them bit. And finally, then, in September of 2014, which is over... It's two and a half years since filming began, uh, Magnolia purchases the film. And the the article that announces this is like, Magnolia has no plans for an Oscar-qualifying release at the end of 2014. They released it in London. Uh, it played in the UK uh, through the fall. Maybe not through the fall, but like it premiered in the fall. And then not until February of 2015, it gets released on VOD in the States. And then a month later, it gets a limited theatrical release. It is the definition of limping into theaters and it was dead on arrival. Like I think we could, you know, I don't even know if it's just over a hundred thousand dollars. This will probably be one of the lowest grossing movies we ever talk about. And it's crazy because like, as we've already kind of labored here, they were huge stars at this point. Yeah. Like at some point in, er in early 2014, when we thought there was still a chance that the movie could come out, there was some talk of like, oh, well, then, of course, it was always like you were never talking about this movie as a favorite, but you were like, and then, of course, there is always Serena, which, like, <laughs> I think after Margaret, we all sort of got into our heads that, like, well, eventually these movies can just come out and surprise us and be great. And I feel like that movie sort of has given hope to so many lost causes. And there's so, also the Terrence Malick factor too, because this is also in the era of Terrence Malick shooting a movie and then eventually releasing it three years later. Right, right. That's true. That's a good point. Um, so yeah, by the time it hits U.S. theaters, it's so late. It's been three years since filming, and 
I think one Everybody's of the moved like on. surprising death knolls of it that was like, oh, there is something wrong with this movie is it only played the London Film Festival and they kind of even dumped it there and like put it in these small screenings. But the fact that it never went to Toronto. Yeah. Because Toronto is the Toronto Film Festival is so huge. And it's not to say that, you know, they like your shit movie can go like it's not like to say that well it's bad but it can still go to Toronto um but they just play so much and especially with a type of star wattage that this movie has and like the international factor it it meant something when this didn't show up at Toronto yeah the writing was on the wall yeah that's very true and that it could have been in Toronto any any of two possible years yeah and that they could have just dumped it at Toronto, too, like they kind of did at the London Festival. Yeah. Yep, it's true. I mean, it's it's not a good movie. It really isn't. And there are a couple points where it seems like it's going to maybe dip into becoming a good movie, but, like, they never develop any of the supporting characters, really, except for Buchanan. They There's never a good antagonist you never know who's on their side the sean harris character seemed like he was like a loyalist until he's not for no reason like the only one you know who's against them the whole time is toby jones first of all also toby jones playing a sheriff in north carolina like i'm sorry like that is not good casting Okay, so I don't think anyone is particularly well cast in this movie. No. Like we made fun of like the supporting cast being this like Marvel spy movie amalgam, but even the two leads are not cast well. No, the not one at all. that it makes sense to me of Angelina Jolie playing that role. She is right for this, but especially this era of Jennifer Lawrence, who's still very young at this point. Well, let's get another. For yeah, although I'm not sure this character. Is how young is the character supposed to be? Is it another one where she's just not old enough to fit the role? Possibly, but it's more a quality thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Who's going around casting Jennifer Lawrence as Lady Macbeth? Right. Well, yeah, at this point. So yeah, I feel like it's not even worth talking about like what year might it have been, you know, shown up in because like what year do you even talk about? Do you talk about 2013, 2014, 2015? Like, I don't know. It feels like it's all Especially when you're talking about the years of other Oscar successes for the same actors. Yes. That's the thing, is if it couldn't have done 2013 because, like, it had a Best Picture nominee for Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence anyway, so there was no room at that particular end. And when it was released in the States in 2015, it was in February, March... And we forgot about it by the end of March. <laughs> yeah. Oh, immediately. I feel like there were a lot of people who didn't even notice that it got released, which is crazy enough. It's yeah. so weird that the only other movie right now that has a release date for Jennifer Lawrence is the next X-Men movie, where it's just like, I can't believe she still has to make those movies. I didn't know she, she seems so disinterested. Movie. She's yeah. attached to this Adam McKay movie that's probably going to be, I would assume, his next movie after the Dick Cheney movie, where she plays a biotech entrepreneur, um, which, again, I don't know. Like, I feel like people got into their heads that like Jennifer Lawrence can play anyone, and I don't know if that's true. 
Uh, yes, and I think they confused it with when she is paired with an interesting director who wants her to do something interesting is when she does her best work. And somehow that got equated into, oh, she's so like versatile at doing anything and anyone, and she's wise beyond her years. And So since Serena, the non-franchise movies, which means take away Hunger Games, take away X-Men, the non-franchise movies that she's made are go Serena, then Joy, which actually I will stick up for a little bit. I think she's good in it, and I think the movie has its moments, but was generally not very well received. Passengers, which is a piece of crap and everybody thought it was. Mother, which was so incredibly divisive. Red Sparrow, which was panned. Like, she maybe needs a, she maybe needs a good movie. She maybe needs something that everybody can agree on is good. I think she needs to work with some really interesting people again. Which, I mean, she did for, I still argue, Mother, but it's... Well, and even Red Sparrow, like, Francis Lawrence isn't uninteresting. Like, I feel like he's made... I mean... I don't know. I really like Constantine. I have a soft spot for Constantine. (laughs) I don't know. And I thought that Catching Fire was the best of the Hunger Games movies, and that was... I guess he did... Yes. He made all of the rest of them, but, like, that one I think is really good. And he did make Water for Elephants. That's a good point. I don't know. Maybe it's just the Constantine thing that is making me positive on Francis Lawrence. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I would... It's the, the problem with Jennifer Lawrence is she's still so incredibly popular and mother notwithstanding, pretty profitable. And yet you almost want to be like, stop everything that you've been doing and do something completely different. Yeah. Stop all of the success and and <laughs> turn it around. I don't know. Mean, meanwhile, we wait patiently for A Star is Born. That's the thing. I feel like we've all got so much anticipation for A Star is Born and like nobody's anticipating anything that Jennifer Lawrence is doing. That's kind of a Can bummer. I just say every time I've gone to the movies in the past, I don't know, month and a half, that trailer plays and it kills every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is... A guaranteed crowd pleaser. I mean, like, I saw that trailer with Won't You Be My Neighbor, and it killed. That's amazing. Um, So before we get into the IMDb game, I want to mention, we usually take a dip into the awards tabs for these movies and see if it got nominated for anything unusual, off the beaten path. We have in the past found nominations for the Blockbuster Awards the Teen Choice Awards, the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards, Lest We Forget, which, as I mentioned to Chris offline earlier this week, apparently aired on PBS this past year, the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. If that becomes oh a God. thing, if we may have to, If that's a thing like, this year, I, am, I will watch it. I will yeah. recap it. I yes. will... I'll be there. All right. So... Serena was nominated for a grand total of one award. It was nominated for the 2015 Yoga Award for Worst Foreign Actress. So I had to figure out what the Yoga Awards are, and Google wasn't super helpful. They appear to be the Spanish version of the the Razzies. And I assume yoga being backwards-ish for Goya. Oh, yeah. Like, like the you know, with the with the consonants flipped around. Right, 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 right. Um, that's my guess. That's my best guess. But so they do worst films and actors 
from Spain. And then they have foreign categories. So the worst foreign film from the yogas that year was Noah, the Darren Aronofsky one. So I guess Darren Aronofsky never fully escaped the fate of... Uh... That's where they met. They met at the Yoga Awards. Oh, wow. Graciously accepting their... Dreams. What if that's true? What um, if that's true? Worst foreign director that year, which I think is unfair, was Luc Besson for Lucy. I think Lucy was great. Worst actor was Christoph Waltz for Big Eyes, which, yeah, that's... That is that is a good choice. If the Razzies had any yes. merit, they would be making choices like that. That's and true. the Razzies are terrible. Of course, well, we get the Razzies. So worst foreign actress is a lot more Razzie-esque, where they gave it to Jennifer Lawrence for American Hustle, Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1, Serena, and X-Men Days of Future Past. So it was essentially... So they just hate her. They do one of the things that the Razzies do is just like, we're tired of her, right? Let's just nominate her for everything she yeah. did this year. If you want to see some real, like, we hate women-ness, just look at the Razzies. Like, that's very true. That's exactly what it is. Though, okay, so I I also looked into these yoga awards as well, and I cannot, um, again, to the, like, Christoph Waltz and Big Eyes thing, like... They might have some, uh, they might be making good choices. Last year, their worst foreign film was The Greatest Showman. Ooh, okay. My nemesis in commerce. <laughs> My enemy in commerce. The Greatest wa- Showman. You know what? I'll watch it again. I'll probably I'll watch, watch it again, again in hell. <laughs> I've been very mean this episode. I'm feisty today. The year that Jennifer Lawrence won, quotation marks, for, uh, for, all of those movies they had an award called the 100 year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared award uh which they gave to clint eastwood woody allen and jean-luc godard and i don't know what the politics were behind that but i am into it they're just making fun of the title of that movie it sounds like Like, well yeah but it's just like these old men oscar nominated movie (laughs) and clearly uh you know we know what got woody allen and clint eastwood in the in the on the shit list, and I imagine Agnes Varda was part part of the voting committee on this. If Godard also God, got roped I into this, I love her so much. <laughs> you guys, let's, pit, do let's not do have a the hard pleasure. pivot into an Agnes Varda podcast, listeners. We are now just here to talk about Agnes. No. Oh my God, this became an Agnes Varda podcast so gradually. We did not even notice it. All of a sudden, Chris would talk about nothing less. Um. If you just want to see, like, my <laughs> eyes explode into, like, a flurry of stars and emojis and, like, hearts and glitter. You become Steven Universe when we talk about uh, Anya Varda. Yeah, just put a photo of her in front of me. Like, just my serotonin level. <laughs> yes. I, um, I love her so much. God bless. God bless I bet her. Our God bless the yoga. Not world. expecting us to talk about Anya's Varda today. I know. Um, let us then. Any last thoughts before we go into the IMDb game? Any last thoughts about Serena? Sometimes when you ask what the last thoughts are, there are so much pressure because we are literally the last thoughts in the world That's for true. some of these movies. It's true. Um, man, it's just crazy. Like, I feel like we haven't had one of these movies that just lingers around for years that we're just wondering when it's going to land or it's like, a, Oh yeah, that movie. Like and sweet, sweet Frances with uh, Michelle Williams. Yes. Like, when are we going to get that movie? And it's, there's something kind of like schadenfreude esque funny 
and so enjoyable about these movies that in this era, like this feels like the last one of those movies in a certain way. Until they make Flora Plum, in which case I will take a week off of work to just linger on that on that film. I need an oral history of Floral Plum. That would actually I feel like be very it's probably still in development. I feel well, like that might exist. Somebody might have written about Floral Plum. You'd have to talk to Jodie Foster, though, and she's so famously guarded. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Serena. We waited all that time. And it was funny because, like, by the time we got it, we knew it was, wasn't going to be good. Like, the writing was on the wall. But yeah. at some point, we all had some degree of faith in it. Alas. Um, I do take some comfort in the fact that, like, everybody involved in it ended up in a better place anyway. So, good for everybody. You will see Jennifer Lawrence talk about this movie sometimes, too, because yeah. she's brought it up in interviews. In, so it's like, in I feel like context? this is a special one for her. I think it... I'm trying to remember the last time that she talked about it. Because it was... I remember her talking about, like, location shoots, because they shot this in, like... The Czech, Czech Republic. Republic. Yeah. That's so interesting. Or she'll like mention it tangentially and not the movie by name. Like, I shot this movie in the wilderness of the Czech Republic <laughs> one time. Like, it's like yeah. I had to ride a horse in a movie one time. <laughs> and it's like, you're talking about Serena. Call we it know by it's, its name. Yeah. All right. So let's play some IMDb game. What do you have for me? IMDb game, of course, is the game where you... Go to an actor's page in IMDb. You see those four little movies that they are known for. Um, and you, where you, Chris and I will quiz each other on how many of these we can guess without hints. And then we will get hints because dead air is not fun. Chris, what do you have for me? Okay. So I'm not on the Oscar path of this one for your IMDb game. We are talking about the original Serena Angelina Jolie. Ooh, okay. No the other television. caveats for our, our potential new listeners. Te- we always say if there's television or voiceover work. Angelina does not have television work, and there's also no voiceover work. And she's actually done quite a bit of voiceover work. Yeah. So I would have mentioned that. Okay, so none of the Kung Fu Pandas. Um, or like that Sin... Was, wasn't there a Sinbad movie she was in? That sounds plausible. Like a DreamWorks animation right. thing we've forgotten. Uh, is one of them Girl Interrupted? Yes. Okay. Is one of them Tomb Raider? No. None of the Tomb Raiders. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith? No. Okay, so you've gotten two wrong. I'm going to help you out with some hints. You said Girl Interrupted, which is her Oscar win. Her other Oscar nomination is in there. Changeling. Yes. Um, the next two, you should be thinking, you mentioned some box office hits. I believe one of these is her very biggest box office hit, currently filming a sequel. What are the years for these two? Uh, we're looking at 2014 and 2010. The one I'm looking for is 2014. It is a live-action Disney feature. Oh, uh, Maleficent. Yes. You always forget it, how much money that movie made. That movie made a ton of money. It made a shit ton of money. And then, um, so the 2010 movie. Oh, God, it's not The Tourist, is it? It is not. 
I okay, I actually would defend this movie. I think this movie is fun. This is a notorious like post-production woes movie in that like the third act of the actual movie was originally in the first act of the movie. If you go on IMDb and look up the trivia for this spy movie, it is insane like how they like Frankensteined this movie into being. Is it salt? It is salt. I like salt a lot. I like salt too. She kills a man with a chain and salt. It's very fun. Yeah, um, if you read any of the like posts, and maybe it's not all on IMDb, but there are there were like huge stories out there about how they completely like reconfigured the movie to make some kind of sense. In I will say salts for a movie that I love has the least surprising twist at the end of it. You've ever seen like, yeah, the bad guy turns out to be exactly who you think the bad guy was going to be. Um, and okay, cool. That's I fun. also tried to go somewhat easier on you this week instead of doing the like Shelco Ivanix. Oh my world. God. Thank you for not doing Shelco Ivanix. All right. So I've also given you an A-list actress Okay. Um, since we're on the Susanna Beer tip, I decided to go with the star of Things We Lost in the Fire, Halle Berry. Ooh, okay. Um, Monsters Ball. Yes. Catwoman. Yes. Um, I know this is not on there, but I just still want to plug this movie because she's great in it. Losing Isaiah. No, not Losing Isaiah, but uh, good plug. Is there TV? Nope. And no okay, voiceover. Okay, so not introducing Dorothy Dandridge. No. Um, Nor is there, there any their X-Men eyes were watching movies? God. Um, is there any what? X-Men movies. Nope. Uh, oh, f- franchise Root, Die Another Day. Yes, that is there. Um, Cloud Atlas. No. Uh, the movie you're missing is from 2003. I weirdly remember it as being pretty well advertised and prominent, but that could just be me. Um, she plays a doctor, a psychologist, I'm fairly certain, at a asylum of some sort. <gasps> Gothica. Yeah, it's Gothica. Fabulous. I almost also wanted to say, because one of our listeners tweeted this movie at us and I lost my mind for a good five minutes, I almost wanted to say Executive Decision, even ah! though I fully knew it wasn't on there. Executive Decision. I did a whole post about, like, Die Hard on a blank, and I feel like that was another Die Hard on a Die Hard on an Airplane. We've had a lot of yeah. Die Hard on an Airplane movies, actually. Um, so it lost out to both Passenger 57 and Air Force One. But, yeah... Hallie, oh. We love Holly Berry. Um, congratulations to Holly Berry on, you know, escaping having her known for movies being no X-Men movies. No X-Men movies, I know. You know she's going to be in the third John Wick movie? Yes. That's she amazing. is, she, weirdly, she, everything she shows up in, I'm like, really? <laughs> right. Kingsman, the Golden Circle. Yeah. You she, know what? I, what? You know what I'm going to put out the recommendation for that she's made recently is The Call, where she plays the 911 operator who oh, has yeah, to... Oh, yeah, that's one of her, like, ridiculous trailer movies. It's a good, fun movie, I will say. I will give the recommendation for that. What I won't give the recommendation for, but I still kind of feel like it, it, there's something that could have been interesting there, is King's, which oh. she did with Daniel Craig and the director of Mustang, which yes. I adore. 
it's a real failure of a movie. That's what I hear. Um, in a real big bummer way. And yeah. it's like half of the pieces of the movie, you can really see what the director was going for in this kind of evocative, very Mustang-esque um, look at Los Angeles um, during the riots. But then the rest of it is this weirdly calibrated, like... Holly Berry has sex dreams in it. There's like this farcical element right when like it's juxtaposed against tragedy happening. It's it is not a movie that works. Did you um, see it at Toronto last year? I saw it at Toronto. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. But um Holly Berry's always interesting. Yes. All right. Well, that is Serena. That is our episode on Serena. Uh, we hope you liked it. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. If you stick around, normally we will try and post the uh, movie that we're going to be talking about the next week on the Friday before. So if you want to watch it over the weekend, you can. We'll try and be very good about that. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Chris V file. That's F E I L. I am also at the film experience as a regular contributor talking about soundtracks. We're getting into Oscar season. So I'll be talking Oscar um, and lots of other fun things. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. That is spelled R E I D. You can also read me every day at decider.com talking about movies and TV and everything that is streaming. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. We really appreciate it, guys. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review would be super appreciated. We would love you forever and send you presents, maybe not the presents, Um, but only because we give you our presents in your ears. Yes, Um, only because of the logistics we wouldn't do that. Otherwise, we would. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz.